It's September 16, 2022. And if you can believe it, it's a Friday once again. Have 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 you uh? So, so I can't figure out. Speaking of all this, I can't figure out how to. For some reason, my my internet, my web browser is not loading up. Do you have the questions, Claire? That yeah, you're I do. I want to go into some of these. I think they're I think they're great. Did you just would would did you just like brainstorm or something? How did you come up with these? They're in my notes. I don't know if you can see it. Um, I was actually watching that movie I was telling you about the other night. Um, it's Tom Cruise. It's Collateral. Collateral. I really, he said a line in the movie and he was like, we're just a speck of dust in this vast universe. So would it, would it matter if a speck of dust gets blown away? Dang. So then I, I had already spoken to you, Adam, earlier, and I was like, okay, let me start going through questions. And I came up with one, and then 20 others came up. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's start. You want me to start at one or hop around? Uh, hop around. Is our fate already set? Or do we have a chance to change our journey? I want to. I want to know first of all why you think we might have the answer to that. I'm just sparking a debate, sparking a sparking a question out there, wanting to hear different perspectives. Okay. Okay. I like that answer. Um, yeah, Adam's, Adam knows the answer to this. So <laughs> why do you think I know? <laughs> uh, I did have an answer occur in my mind instantly after it was read. <laughs> what is it? Well, the, well, the, the, the word fate is the thing that jumped out at me. Mm. And I guess uh, our, our, the way our, our relationship to that word is not, um, fate means basically that what I'm meant to be is what I will be in the future. And it's, uh, it's just not true. It, the word fate is, um, th there is no such thing as fate. It just doesn't exist. Mm. I, I can see that. I think it gets into predetermining someone's future and predestination, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I've always like wondered, is there already a set course for me that some higher being has already set? Or do I have the chance to change my path and go different ways? Or is it already known of what I will become and what I will like come into in my future years? So how would you go about changing this path? I mean, just like being spontaneous and doing something that 
I've always wanted to do or, you know, not following the typical stereotypical path that people follow, you know, white house, white fence or blue house, white picket fence, that kind of stuff, you know, maybe like being spontaneous and going back to school for like a completely different degree than my degree already in anthropology. Would, how do you know that would be a different course than what you feel you're already determined for? That's the question of the day. (laughs) Can you read it one more time? Okay. Let me find it. Is our fate already set or do we have a chance to change our journey? So the closest I can tell is that our potentiality, our, our ability to transcend or to grow or create a lo- our lives is uniquely our own. So each individual has this potential to flourish mm-hmm. given, given who you are and how you are, your interests, your attractions, what, what draws your attention. These things are lie dormant in us. And the thing that prevents those things from arising, and, 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 and I would like to use the word like gripping us and taking us onto these adventures or these journeys is our societal um, ideas and the cultural things that have been implanted in us by others. Mm -hmm. So in essence, for me, what my, my, the truest, the truest path for me that could be is only prevented um, by me my ideas, my thoughts that I've allowed to stay with me. Mm -hmm. I like that. Adam, what did you say fate is earlier? There's no such thing. Like, like the, the, the closest I could say is you are where you're meant to be because you're here. It's, there's no debate. Yeah, I, I mean, I am what I meant to be because I what I'm meant to be is what I am. So, but there's, there's, there's not the, a difference. There's there's not a there's not an ideal read and a and a this current read. There's not. There's just the there's just me. But then the question is, from this moment forward, knowing that you are where you're meant to be, do you have a choice to create something different for yourself? How would that choice be made? But how, how, how would I make a choice contrary to what? Like, I, I, first of all, I'd have to know what this determined path is and then somehow make a choice that goes in a different direction that, in which that choice is not a part of that determined path. Well, the, under the idea that well, under the assumption of the idea that things could be better. So like in this moment, as you exist, as you listen or as you watch or whatever you're doing, do I have a choice to have a different experience? Can I choose to do something different to create something different for my life? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. What do you, what is that? What is a choice? How, how exactly is that made? Yeah. So how, yeah, go ahead, Claire. (laughs) I was going to say, 
I think it comes with the randomness of life. I think it comes by opportunities coming into your life and which path you choose to take. I don't know if y'all have seen the show Ordinary Joe. It's a show that basically goes on with this guy that makes three decisions in his life, but it's if he makes those decisions, what his life would look like. And so I've always wondered, like, if I had done this or if I had done that, like, what would my life look like today? And then thinking about it now, I, I guess it's like, you know, if something comes into my life tomorrow, would I be able to switch it all up and give up what I have now? What would determine whether or not you made that new choice? My willingness to accept it. Did you create your willingness to accept it? Yeah. Okay. How do you generate willingness? (laughs) I think willingness is collected with open-mindedness, seeing where the path leads you. How do you become open-minded? You become open-minded by wanting to expand your knowledge. How do you start wanting to expand your knowledge? I have something snarky to say. Adam, am I allowed to say bad words? Yes, please. (laughs) By not being a snarky dick. No, but... (laughs) No, I was just saying, like, just wanting to be more than like what I think about it is you're so I used to live in Atlanta full time. I'm in Texas now being stuck inside a bubble, you know, and doing the same daily routine, seeing the same people hanging out with the same people. My whole idea is if something comes into my life and like, you want to go travel to Japan and live there for a year would, would I be willing to drop everything and just go? So, so I would say then along those lines that the, the desire, the willingness to suddenly drop everything and go is part of that path, that part of that predetermined path. I can get on with that. I like that. And I, I, th- I think more... I th- and I think most importantly for me is is examining what is what it is that I think I will experience somewhere that's not here. Mm, true. And I think that's what fueled me wanting to come to Texas for so long was being already used to my way of life in Atlanta and wanting to see more and be more out here. And I've, someone just came to my door. I'll be right back. Yeah. And, and I've got the benefit of knowing a, a, a bit of your history and your, and your life and the circumstances that led you to Texas. Mm-hmm. And there's so many pieces at play, mm-hmm. you know, there was um, many, there was influences like you're, you're recently married. So you have a husband who lives in in Texas. Mm-hmm. You also moved to be with him, yeah. Yes, hundred percent. And one of the things that Reed and I get into the weeds at 
at during the show is, is really trying to understand the narratives we create for the decisions that are made. Because we just have two, we just had two narratives. Your 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 willing your desire for adventure brought you to Texas. Mm -hmm. But also, if if you know, correct me if my conception of marriage is wrong, but also a commitment to something, yes. someone else's else's life and their sacrifice involved there as well. Hundred percent. So we've got two narratives for one decision. And then the question of, you know, um, when, when Reed gets back, we can go to a different question, but the question of is there destiny or is there fate? You know, what, he was really trying to, to get at where does my choice come from? Where does willingness come from? Where do these decisions and desires manifest? Mm -hmm. And um, and that's what we we tend to examine when we get into the weeds during the show. I love it. Yeah. You want to go to the next one? Yeah. Let's see. Does belief make God exist? That's a great, that's a great one. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like Jordan Peterson over here. Well, my, what my brain's doing, because it's like, I, I'm going, well, first you have to define what God is. And then yes. you have to de decide what belief is. Yes. Both those terms. But the question is, does belief decide what God is? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on how you, your relationship to those words. Exactly. So I honestly believe that God is a social construct that organized religion brings into the picture. I believe, oh, excuse me. I believe that it is just, you know, I think there could be a singular God ruling over everything and watching over us or there could be multiple gods like in hinduism um but i believe that if it weren't for man that these conceptual facts about god and religion would not be as they are today yeah yeah no i feel i feel i feel very similarly i, th I think that um The moment that I decide what God is, I've come to a belief in what God is. Mm -hmm. I'm incapable of having an experience of God. Mm -hmm. So when I hear the word God, I don't think um, like it, it changes. It changes a lot, but for, but for me, it's just it's it's just the the miraculous experience of being that that is occurring regardless of what i think feel or believe about it it's yes. happening it's going to be happening whether you like it or not like you're, you're like we're wrapped up in this ocean of consciousness as it's unfolding and expressing itself in all directions you're it i'm it reads it we're all it <laughs> for sure for so sure do, so does so i don't i don't even need belief for that Nope. <laughs> That's why it's kind of like a trick question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's why I put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to believe 
you know, I, but I don't, I don't see a use in it in any, yeah. in any beliefs really. For sure. I a hundred percent agree. All right. Let's go. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> oh, hmm. if it's the end of the world, is it better to die or fight to survive? It's better to die. Why? Um, I think it's always better to die. And then it leads into my next question. Is there life after death? Is there life while living? Do you want a question, Reed? Um, that was an interesting question I just sat down with. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the one you were asking before when. Oh. Um, remind me what I said. It was, it was, is it, if the world is ending, is it better to fight or die? Right. Wasn't that it? Yes. And Adam said he'd die. It's always yeah. better. It's always better to die in, in any situation. I'd fight. Why? Why wouldn't? No, no one would not fight. If the world's ending, you're going to struggle to survive. You're not going to lay down in a field and decay. No, but if it's like a nuclear apocalypse where we knew that like only like a handful of people were going to survive. I'm going to be the handful that survives. <laughs> I, I, I tend to side with Adam on this one because it goes into my next question. Is there life after death? So I'm in, I'm in, I'm interpreting this as something that is applicable today in any yes. situation I may experience today. Because when I when I imagine this, I imagine Armageddon with Bruce Willis except there is no Bruce Willis and the meteor is going to end everybody. Yes, that's I mean, I'm thinking more of American horror story where they all are trapped in a bunker. <laughs> and it's and it's definite everybody's going to die. No. Oh, so only a, a few survive. So there is a chance for survival. Yes. Oh, in that case, I, I side with Reed. <laughs> you just made the assumption everyone dies, Adam. Yeah, I assumed that it was like I know that tomorrow the sun's going out. Yeah. Well, so in that case, how would you live today? I I personally tend to the side of. Well, if it's going to be a fight to survive, then why fight? But I'm now questioning that as well. <laughs> but sorry, what were you going to say? Um, by fight to survive, what do you mean? Like it's, it's just harder to survive now. Like we have to basically survive like we did on a daily basis not that long ago in human history. Like primal, that kind of stuff. I think... I suspect that primal societies were exponentially happier, more fulfilled, and more authentic than any modern society on the planet today. I agree with that 100%. It's possible everyone who survives that event might suddenly find themselves better off. Mm, 100%. After adjusting, of course, after we quit 
pitching a fit in our minds about everything we lost. Yeah, I think it goes back to my studies with the Denisovians and the Neanderthals and all of that. I think it goes into showing like the hunter gatherer and all those kind of societies before. And I, it, it, like looking at the hieroglyphs that are left over all over the world, it just seems like life was simpler back then, of course, and that people were just not people because they weren't considered people yet. Uh Um, But that whoever was around were happier um, because they were based off of doing simple things every day and living life on the, I guess, on the edge, I would say. Like, if there's a big rainstorm, they have to go live in a cave. Or if there's a herd of buffalo running towards them, they have to quickly find something to shield them from not getting trampled, stuff like that. Like, imagine in a society like that, how much more meaningful every... So nature itself, like if we think of like what they're, they probably had some kind of, you know, primitive religious or spiritual systems. I think that's inherent in our makeup. We would make that up, but that would be a result of being in this, this world. You know, you're just in the forest. You don't know what it is. You don't have an explanation for anything. And visions are real. Spirits are real. Like, there is a spirit of the forest, the spirit of the tree. Like there are these unknown forces at play that have the, the power to destroy you in an instant, yet sustain you with food and, and life. They also nourish and create you. Mm. And so like you'd be hooked up to that and constantly. It would be like probably the average person's most deep experience with God in their day-to-day basis would be like the shallowest experience mm. to one of someone in a primitive society like that. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think it, um, so Reed, you pro Adam probably hasn't told you everything about me, but, um, so I'd say the most spiritual experience I've ever had was when my dad died last year. And it was realizing that, you know, we have time to be with each other, but the time is limited. And so it gave me a new appreciation for life and like things like a cell phone or TV is very menial because at the end of the day, it's all about human connection. And I think those earlier societies really had that down pat. Whereas today you see everyone scrolling on their phone, going through everything. And then um, it just is lack of connection with people and people are zombies walking around. And it just makes me have such a great appreciation for the connections that I do have with people, because at the end of the day, that's that's all we really have is connection. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Shall we move on to another question? Yeah. We skipped the life after death part. We didn't answer that yet. Okay. 
Are you still interested in that question? Yes. Or you ask something else? Life after death. Let's do it. Adam knows. <laughs> no, I definitely don't know. <laughs> That's the one thing I know for sure I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you about, yeah, I could talk about the death of what I perceive my life to be. That's, there's a shitload of life after that. But but the mortal question of what happens when the when my breathing stops and I don't know. Yeah, I don't have any experience with that. Well, <laughs> maybe one day we will. <laughs> yeah, we'll know the answer. Yeah, if I read more, well, Osho, no, we if I read more Osho. Will will we know the answer? I think we will. Is there someone around to know the answer at that point? I think after we stop breathing, we experience whatever we experience. And I think it goes into the constructs of what do you believe personally happens to you after you stop breathing? And then it goes back into religion. And is it just a societal construct of what we want to happen after we die or what is the truth of what actually really happens? There's an, there's an important, an important um, something you, you, you implied when you said, you know, we'll experience whatever happens after death. So the thing we're investigating is what is it we are now that we'll continue to experience after death? Because if you have that assumption, then clearly I'm not the body, I'm not the mind, I'm not memory, I'm not any of that. But yet here I am, and something will continue experiencing after death. So what is that something that's obviously present now and is obviously more me than anything around me? I think it's your soul. Honestly, I think it's your soul. You know, growing up as a kid, I was always taught about your soul and all that kind of stuff. And I always, this is funny. I thought it was always like a hunk of steak, like T-bone steak is your soul. I don't know why I thought that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, like I couldn't picture what a soul would look like outside of what I look like today. Um, you know, is it just a beam of light? Is it just a orb? Like who knows what it actually is? except for what you feel inside is your soul. Mm. Yeah, I, it's, it's crazy because it's, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm tripped out because I'm looking at the zoom pictures, you know, these, and I see my body and I see you guys and I'm experiencing this breath of life occurring whether whether what it's just occurring and it's happening and it's individualized and expressed as this thing adam a mm -hmm. and it's unique and i'm like what the hell breathed the life into this for this whatever is speaking to occur exactly i've also was driving around thinking that the trees had feelings uh yesterday too that's um no I so growing up I feel like everything has feelings like 
inanimate objects have feelings. Like, even if they're not living, I feel like things have feelings. Like, I I had this, like, mental breakdown when my car was getting taken away for parts. Because I was like, it has feelings. Like, it's living. And in a way, it is living because we are controlling it to live by the engine and all the stuff that's in it. But... I just, I don't know, like, I've always had that sense that, like, things have feelings, and it's been something that has given me great empathy in my life for people, things, places, animals, like, you name it. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a sense or a knowing that doesn't, it doesn't stem from, you didn't reach conclusion that led you to feel that, but it's a feeling that are you just kind of this innate sense that is there prior to all that. And you, you seem to, I'm guessing a lot of people have like, like just from my own experience being a kid, like it seems that I was connected in ways that like, as a kid, just naturally that like tend to lose or lost, like becoming an adult. And I've, I'm guessing most people like, I don't know, as a kid, you can use imagination to literally do anything you want. And then we, when looking at this, we like lose our ability as adults, but then I think it's more like we're just taught you can't do that anymore. And then we believe it. Like we squash that ability rather than lose that ability. Um, but if we hold on to these abilities, we don't have to lose these. Exactly. And I think it goes back to the discussion we were just having on, you know, the earlier societies and were they truly happy? And I think as a kid, we have a carefree life for some kids. It's different, but um, I feel like for most kids out there, they have a carefree life, whereas adults were bogged down by stress and doing responsibilities. So I think it gets into like, how can we work with our inner child to continue that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and everything, everything was sacred. Everything was sacred. If you were going to uh, kill an elk, you were grateful for the bones. You used everything. Like you didn't just, everything was sacred. And so, and I was also thinking of that book, the giving tree where the boy. Oh Yeah. The boy's hanging out with the tree. It's like the saddest book ever, but it's also there's also something true there. Because he's because and I, I'm I was looking at the wall thinking like uh I don't want to hurt the wall. If I like to punch the wall, like that doesn't it feels like it feels like everything is me. Everything is consciousness. Like to say goodbye to your car is to say goodbye to a part of yourself. And I can't tell what's true. And I can't tell whether I've created this attachment to this inanimate object or I recognize the, I guess, the the unity of all things. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I don't see myself. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't see myself wanting to punch or hurt matter in my environment. Because in some sense, it would be punching or hurting myself. Well, you said it's like you didn't want to punch the wall. So what I interpret that as well is like 
I don't want to hurt something that I find not only like physically helps me, you know, it shelters you from the rain and all the elements of outside and it gives you a nice stable place to live, but it also is a part of your memories and your memories of what you've created there as well. So it's also a form of like, you've created a life there. So that is part of that life. Well, well, even, even anything as simple as taking a twig off of a tree while I'm on a hike, like, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt or like disturb something that's existing. Depending on the circumstance. And that's what I mowed the lawn the other day and and I'm trimming and weed whacking everything and I don't give a shit at all. (laughs) So it's like, it's hard to tell whether it's sentimentality or. And why, why is, I don't don't know. I'm going to keep asking. We're going to go on this tangent forever. I'm going to keep asking questions, but let's hear more questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take that for the next two hours. Yeah, we'll sidebar the world as yourself for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it possible to be living a life within a life? A life within a life. Yes. So the reason why I say that is. I thought of this show I once saw on Broadway where it's a show within a show. Um, So it's basically like they are writing the show that they're performing. Um, So that's where I came up with that question. 111% yes, because, and I'll give you a great example. There's the, there's the, there's the, there's the show that we're having, and then there's the show that Reed's having with the show that we're having. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to, a lot of directions to go with this. Um, but I think most of our lives are lives within lives, essentially. Like the character I play in society, like at work, they think I'm a, a software engineer. I know that's not true, but they believe it. Um, like at this meeting, like y'all have, y'all have assigned me, each assigned me a different role. Um, but I'm none of those roles yet in this context, that's the, that's the character I'm playing. And then I also, I watch all this play out. I watch the character in the show and that itself is a show. Um, and then there's also the show without characters because this particular experience we're having, three of us are sitting here. Who does the experience belong to? All of us. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? E- even listeners in the future. Yeah. Any, everyone sharing this experience right now. Where does the experience live then? If we're all having this experience, where is this experience? I don't have an immediate answer for that. But I'm sure Adam does. No, I didn't either. It was great. Like the the reason I think 
I, I like talking to Reed so much as he creates his words will create this space of absolute silence in my mind and my heart. It's just a blanket of nothingness. And I like to bathe in it. I like to just go, yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we move on? Sure. All right. Are people criminally insane or just misunderstood? All people? No, the people who are deemed criminally insane. I mean, if if they're doing harm to people and it's and it's a crime, I guess you could call them criminally insane but insanity is relative or sanity itself is relative so the yeah these are these are terms we've made to fit certain frameworks we have a psychological framework and we have a, a legal framework criminally insane is a legal term outside of a legal system that doesn't exist they're just a person you don't want to be around <laughs> right like then yeah. in insanity there has to be there has to be a measure of sanity first and sanity is generally just how well do you fit into society again arbitrary we created the society that doesn't actually fit anyone living in it and so the degree to which you can't you don't mesh with this you know social framework we've created is the degree to which we label you insane so there's if you took a And then misunderstood, yeah, because we don't understand any of those things. And so also we make the assumption that everyone is acting out of pure reason and logic all the time. And so when someone does something crazy, we're like, why did they do that? As if they were sitting down, reviewing a set of choices, and then picked the one that everyone knows is bad on purpose. Mm -hmm. But like in our own experience, that's not even how I operate. Yet I expect other people to operate the same way. I don't go around perfectly like perfectly clear on what all the choices are in a given situation always picking the one that is quote unquote best when like the good choice itself is relative i think we're all acting out of our own self interest everyone at every time is simply making choices depend um based on what they believe is the best choice for themselves and then that's going to vary based on what they learned growing up, their conditioning, what they've heard other people tell them they should be and do, like all of this stuff, right? So who's really making the choice? Mm, I love that. And I think it gets into one of my other questions of mental illness and is mental illness a blessing or a curse? And I know it goes back to like, we've already set definitions for those words and we have the psychological boundaries for things of that nature. But for someone who, for example, has schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, they would, I know for the people who have spoken to who do have it, some of them believe that it is a curse on them, but for me, I see it as just another thing that makes them uniquely them. So the, the blessing or the curse depends again on the society in which they're living. Um, 
in the West, we, okay, and there's, there's different kinds of mental illness too. Um, there's, I don't know, you could say at like a physiological level, the brain is altered in a way where normal, normal functioning is just not possible. But then I think, I think that's rarer. Like most mental illness would be more of, again, like a, a measure of how well does someone fit in and play in society um, or something like bipolar, even, I don't know, d depression, like everything. And my feeling is that like in Western society, we don't really have a spiritual framework, a healthy spiritual framework in which people can understand themselves. We have this, this very, um, this very rigid, good, bad, um, monotheistic, patriarchal, um, monarchical God concept. And we don't really have a, a positive way for people to play with maybe the feeling that they're everything, for instance. And then so when people in our society experience a feeling of everything, it's taken in an egoic context. I personally am everything. Therefore, I am all powerful. I am Jesus, all this stuff. And then you get someone acting nutty. But like in a society with like a more where people are more like open spiritually and that's not the only way to view things. Then you have it. Then suddenly you can say, I'm everything. And then the person walking by on the street is like, yeah, me too. And then it's like, all right, cool. We're all good. <laughs> like, so it's really unfortunate. Um, but I'm hoping that's something that can change is that like we as a society can start having this broader concept of spirituality rather than just this, you know, the black and white kind of, kind of the traditional Christian um, conditioning you have. Yeah, I see it every, so read in my work, I um, work with homeless youth who have been abused, neglected and all that kind of stuff. So when I see a certain case, I look at all the different facts about it. And, you know, I see these parents who are struggling and you know, some of my coworkers are like, oh, well, they're just terrible human beings. But I'm like, no, they're not terrible. You know, they, you know, they, I don't condone their actions on what they've done, but I have an understanding that everyone has struggles and everyone goes through something. So I think that some people handle it better than others, but I feel like, for going back to the killer stuff, the criminally insane, I believe that they weren't given the tools and the necessarily capable ability to really cope with certain life situations. Yeah. And then there's also like the society, the society piece comes into play too, because maybe the criminally insane, the murderer, the serial killer, whatever, they make a maybe they make like a great frontline soldier in the Roman um, legions. Yeah, you know, like they have maybe they had a role to play in society in a different society long ago. You know, the bipolar <laughs> person going into these manic episodes—that's the fucking sage. That's 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 the same. Like they. 
you can do great things, but in our society, it kind of, there's no healthy outlet, you know, mm-hmm. for this suddenly like spiritual transformation that comes and goes like there's at times in history, there are roles these people can play. And we just don't have, if you're not the average Joe anymore, mm-hmm. there's no room for you. And that's why I, like I used to always tell people that I lived on the Island of Misfit Toys because I never fit into a certain mold growing up. Yeah. I was always like a group hopper with friends. Like I always had one friend in all the popular cliques. And I think getting down to the end of it is like, what am I really wanting out of life versus what society wants me to want out of life yeah yeah and then that's kind of the that's the dichotomy that kind of creates this internal conflict there's there's what i want and then what i'm supposed to want and then that just drives drive you crazy or make you unhappy or then you're feeling bad about yourself i'm not i'm not what i'm supposed to be Mm-hmm. I love it all. <laughs> but I do think with societal remarks, I do think we need to be open-minded about, I think, okay, let me go back. Society, I feel like goes through evolution. So I think now um, society is becoming more gender fluid. And I know that's a whole different other conversation and um topic to get on but I feel like there's different things in each generation that we have to open our minds to and be more open about you know and I mean this is random but maybe in 20 years it's figuring out that there are actually lizard people (laughs) on the planet I know Um, I know one I met one in Tulsa Oklahoma he had horns his whole body tattooed lizard forked tongue everything that's who, did he, that's that was his way of expressing himself. Exactly. And so it goes into how can we as a society get a level of acceptance for people who want to express themselves the way that they want to. Yeah, so, to, well that's no to me it's nobody's business like like how how like I don't know this is I love this topic because it's it's like for some reason it's a hot topic it doesn't make sense to me everybody's feminine and masculine there is no gender like we've created this gender biologically there's there's impulses and and things occurring that are not open for debate uh, and worthy of examining but who you are and how you are is creativity itself just pure creativity whatever that is. The other day I was sitting on the front porch and then I realized, uh, I don't know why, but I I realized, wait a second, I'm not a man. And then I felt this great sense of freedom because I was like, oh, okay, I don't, like I didn't realize I was doing it, but I was like, well, I don't have to appear masculine now. Um, Like there's like, I have feminine qualities as, as well, but like, it's not, I don't go around thinking about being a man or anything, but it's like this, you know, there's these deep seated, you know, conditionings, but I was like, wait a second. And it was just like one more degree of me being me, 
me being comfortable being me, me being free to be me. Um, yeah. It didn't, it didn't change my behavior, but it was like a weight I didn't know. But I, I, I will say the trouble is the moment you label it, the moment you identify with anything, anything uh, is a problem. Like I, I shouldn't be identified as an athlete, as a amateur scholar, as an amateur philosopher, a video gamer, <laughs> like pick a million things. Melissa's boyfriend, like whatever you don't want. actually fit any of those roles. None of them. Those are all. Yeah. None of those are helpful. We may match some traits, but not all. Yeah. Y'all want to know what I tell people? I yeah. tell people that I'm an adventurer exploring life. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an adventurer. That sounds about right. You're asking what we can do as a society to like be more understanding of people in general. I think that to me, the clear answer is understand ourselves and not like really on a fundamental deep level how do i think where do my desires and fears come from where do my actions come from how do i actually make decisions and if we understood that about ourselves we wouldn't we wouldn't make these mistakes in judging other people because we're like we would fully understand wait a second i would do the exact same things if i had the same set of circumstance conditioning same brain all that stuff no, it's it's not like I'm because I'm not murdering people. I'm not better than a murderer. I just didn't. I wasn't raised like a murderer. <laughs> I, that's not like I don't have per, those, that particular arrangement of neurons. Yeah, and I'm not exposed to that particular whatever environment. That's it. For sure. One of the. Uh... So I used to, I I worked at a at a psych hospital. I was on like the the psych unit where they would send people with schizophrenia, psychosis, suicidality, full spectrum of mental health disorders. And one of the best things that I got to do, other than just exist in the space and spend time with everyone there, well, the the first thing that was weird was I didn't feel different than anyone, because I, I mean I felt like what they were sharing and what I was I had been experienced was very similar. So I didn't feel different than anyone who was labeled as crazy, but I was able to read everyone's chart. And so when, when doctors and physicians and psychiatrists talk about a person's chart, it's this giant binder that doesn't, that not only holds their diagnosis that the current physician has made, but their entire history with notes from all other physicians and life experiences that they've had. And these binders are super thick, like Bible size thick. And I would sit there when everything was calm and just read through everybody's charts on the, on the unit. And it was the most fascinating things ever because there are so many circumstances and so many things that had happened in this person's environment and within their biology that was totally out of their control. Mm. Nothing was in anyone's control. And we're sitting here with our big brains and our doctors, PhDs, trying to help you know people way too quick <laughs> like we're just trying to get them fixed quicker and it's like well it's it's just it's an insurmountable task and i and i agree with you reed i think if there's anything that one could do it would be to examine where their interests where their desires where their choices are coming from and where you and and at least where i started to see that that a lot of my behaviors 
were taken from others or ideas were taken from others that I had somehow onboarded into my way of being. And it's like, it, I don't have to live that way. I mean, living got really hard. A lot of, a lot of what, like I would consider, you know, traditionally to be my personality or like quirks or character traits. I've realized recently are just behaviors that I saw my parents doing mm. and now they're automatic ways of being or behaving for me. Like, my, my, my sense of humor and temperament is, is 100% copy of my dad's. Nothing unique about it at all. But yeah, this is something we would consider like a fundamental piece of your unique personality. And it's not. Your sense of humor is not yours, right? It's picked up somewhere or it's genetic somehow. So what, what unique trait is yours? Find one. Find a trait that is uniquely yours that was not picked up from people you grew up with or passed down through your parents. What did you develop uniquely that can't be found anywhere else? Avant-garde, avant-garde art, weird art, like gummo and super slow film noir stuff. My, I think. That you made those, Adam, or you like those? There's an interest. There's an interest there, and also like like risky, doing risky art. Do you know that there wasn't a family member who also had that interest? None in my immediate surroundings. Yeah. What about further back? Oh, there's no way to tell. Yeah, I can't know for certain. And I mean, I'm adopted, so I don't know any of that um interesting yeah so if it's is it genetic that you follow something or is it adam so we were talking about wrapping up um well claire thank you so much for joining thank you guys this is a lot of fun yeah it was super fun uh yeah it'll be out we'll put it out on monday or tuesday awesome i'm excited (laughs) Uh, let me know if y'all want to pick this up another time yeah definitely well adam it was good to see you reed it was nice to meet you
Thank you.